Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Is that important? There's probably been something in the word of the Lord, some thing maybe when you were coming to God and maybe as a new convert that you wondered, why is that so important? And so as we sung about the oneness of God tonight, I thought that'd be a great place to start. And I didn't know that they were going to sing those songs and they didn't know that I was going to teach this lesson. So we feel good about that in the Holy Ghost. James chapter number 2 and verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. I know it's a long title, but I want to use that. Thou believest. That there is one God, thou doest well. This is the only message that makes the devil tremble. This is the only message that he really fears, is this one God message. Amen? And so, uh, if he fears it, there's a reason why he fears it. If he's afraid of it, there's a reason why he is afraid of it. And uh, I want to talk about that here tonight. I want the Lord to help us. Would you raise your hands with me right now? Let's pray together that his presence would be here in this place. His spirit would move and work and have its way in this house. Let's pray. God, I thank you, Lord. We look to you. We need you. We need your strength. We need your anointing. We need your power. We understand, God, that your word is anointed, but we need to be anointed. God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch us tonight. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. In the name of the Lord, clap your hands to him and give him praise right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be seated. Before I continue tonight, I almost forgot. But uh, we want to, you know, the whole idea of of Sunday night was to cast a, a vision for our future. And also to kind of uh, be open and let you know what was going on, full disclosure type of thing. And uh, I kind of took this for granted, but I guess I needed to ask that you not, I don't mind you telling people about what we're endeavoring to do. And you know that, like I said, there is contingencies on this and uh, all of those Pieces have to fall in place for it to be uh, something that becomes a reality. Though I I feel like if in the Lord's will it's going to. Um, But I would ask you, don't don't talk family business as far as figures and all of those things. You're, You're part of this church family and you wouldn't go discuss your finances with strangers, right? Or even other people from other families. And so don't do that to us. And I, that's all I ask is don't don't go share figures and all those kinds of things and, and and I know it's tempting to do that and 
and all of that. But I would rather you not do that. And uh, so just honor us in doing that because, uh, you know, uh, it's just not a good thing. The ink isn't dry on this deal, you know. And so we're, we're working with everything. And, and uh, so don't preempt us and, and, and help us with that. Is that okay? And uh, so I think everybody would be in agreement with that. The Bible says some very unique and interesting things from the very beginning, actually in the book of Genesis, when it begins the creation account in the book of beginnings, and it begins to tell this marvelous, miraculous creation story. And as it unfolds, it tells us that when the earth, uh, when the Lord began working with it. I don't know what it was before, and that's not given to us in Scripture. And there's a lot of different ideas about that. But it says that the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And it says this, that the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. And God began by saying, let there be light And there was light. And then we see that repeated over and over again. Let there be and there was. It all began with a moving of the Spirit. And it's all going to wrap up in the end with the moving of the Spirit. The Bible says actually in the rapture of the church that His Spirit is going to quicken our mortal bodies. And we're going to rise to meet Him in the air. And so creation as it unfolds, it begins to be set in order by the Word of God. The Bible tells us it's by the Word of God that the worlds are framed. And God, who has established divine order, creates an environment that is ready-made for really His crowning achievement through this process. I mean, we find that uh, plant life is spoken into existence. We find that fish of the sea fowl of the air, uh, all of those things, the animal kingdom, all of those things are spoken into existence by the Word of God. And that all leads to His ultimate plan. And that is is that He would form man out of the dust of the earth. And He would breathe into His nostrils the breath of life. And man would become a living soul. Nothing else like it. Animals don't have souls. All these people that think they're going to see Fido in heaven and all that kind of stuff, uh, give it a rest because they don't have a soul. I know that's going to disappoint some of you. And if it helps you a little bit on this earth, but the Bible tells us that you're probably not going to even know anything about Fido when you get over there because all tears are going to be wiped from your eyes and Whatever you missed here on earth, you're not going to miss over there. So we understand all of that. Well, let's don't get too excited about all of that. So God did all of this. And he made man, I might back up and say, in his own image, in his own likeness. So God did all of this. And we have a great big Bible here that I'm preaching out of tonight. 66 books. 1,189 chapters, 33,102 verses in the Bible. And there's lots of wonderful stories 
testimonies and accounts and miracles that are shared with us, and really just a little portion of all the miracles, especially in the Lord's ministry. We know that because it's spoken of that the world cannot contain if there was a record of all the miracles that it transpired. There's not a library that is big enough to contain all of that. Uh, Just what we need to know is here, and I don't believe that anything we need to know is left out. Yet there is one thing that we don't have a lot of details about. There's not a lot of time that is devoted to tell us about this period between chapter 1 and chapter 3, when everything was perfect. Uh, Really, the ending or uh, in chapter number 2, it already begins to go sideways. But we don't have a lot that is given to us about this perfect, flawless world and environment that had been created that we call the Garden of, Gethsem- or Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of Eden. And this perfect place. And this was a time when God had uninhibited fellowship with men, with Adam and Eve. And it was perfect communion. The Bible said that the voice of the Lord walked with man in the cool of the day. Adam, as a son of God, enjoyed this fellowship. There was nothing that divided him. There was nothing that was a buffer between him. There was nothing that was a hindrance there. It was full and complete fellowship with God. And in just a couple of chapters, that's really all we have until the serpent slithers his way into the garden, as it were, and he draws Eve's attention and He directs her to this one tree out of the entire garden. I don't know exactly, you don't know exactly how many trees that were in that garden that were fruitful. But we do know that every one of them they could partake of as oft as they desired, as much as they hungered for. They could partake of them all besides this one tree. That was the only tree that was forbidden them to partake of its fruit. And so this was all available to them. And I believe that every appetite that was in man could be satisfied by what they could partake of. And what they could have enjoyed. And I I think it's still that way today. Everything and every appetite and every desire that God placed within you can be satisfied in the kingdom of God. Through living for God, serving the Lord and enjoying the experience of the Holy Ghost. I believe that you can have fullness and completeness in life through living for God. I don't believe that you have to go out there and find some substitute. I don't believe that you have to go out there and find something as a crutch to lean upon. But I do think that everything that God has placed within us that would serve as a a satisfying thing to us in the spirit man... If you're hungering for something that's out there, it's not your spirit that is hungering. It's not that God element that is on the inside of you. It's your flesh. And it's the influence of sin in your life. And so he draws her attention. I thought to myself today as I was studying this, isn't that just like the devil? 
to draw attention and to highlight the one thing that you can't have. And, and try to put that on the marquee. To put that out there as being something that you need. When in fact you don't. But it's going to bring damage to you. It's going to bring heartache to you. It's going to bring, it's going to bring brokenness to you. It's going to bring a scar upon your life. But yet that's the one thing that the devil markets to Eve. And he said, you know why God doesn't want you to eat of this tree, don't you? It's because in the moment that you eat of it, you'll become as God. Knowing good and evil. And the Bible shows us something here. She looked at the tree and saw... And sin, can I stop and say, always, the way the devil presents it, always looks, it always appears attractive. I remember the first time as a boy that I traveled down to Los Angeles and I saw the uh, place where they make movies and Hollywood makes, uh, they have those sets that are, that are, there where they make their films and I saw the frontage of a house and there was even a yard, maybe there was even a swing on the porch and all this manicured lawn and then when you drive behind it, it was all just a front. There wasn't any back at all to the house. There was no substance to it. I mean, there was window dressings. There was all these things, but it was just a a panel. It was just like a billboard and when you got to the other side, you realized it was a prop. There was nothing to it. And I thought exactly that is the way sin is. It looks so attractive. But when you get on the other side of sin, you find out how damaging it is. And destructive it is. And you find out you've been deceived. And she saw that it was good for food. And that is the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasant to the eye and that is the lust of the eye and everything can be lumped in these three categories she saw that the tree was to be desired to make one wise and that is the pride of life so it appealed to the pride of life and you can lump just about any sin into those three categories it'll fall down into one of those three columns The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. And the Bible says that Adam eat of the tree along with her. And it was through the disobedience of Adam that sin entered into the world. And death by sin. Just as the Lord had told them. The day that you eat of this, you shall surely die. And what that meant was is that they were not going to die at that particular moment, but death was going to be introduced into the world. And that would be the judgment for sin. And at that moment, that's exactly what happened. And I could go around this room here tonight and I could ask, who was that serpent? that slithered into the garden and presented this and sold this lie to Eve and then by extension Adam. And I think all of you would say something like this. Well, it was the devil, Pastor. It was Satan. It was the deceiver. It was the adversary. It was the wicked one. It was 
the God, little g, of this world. The prince and the power of the air. But you know that Genesis 3 does not say that it was the devil. Genesis 4 doesn't say it was the devil. Genesis 5 doesn't say it was the devil. 6, 8, 9. Genesis 50 doesn't say that it was the devil. Exodus doesn't tell us that it was the devil. Leviticus doesn't tell us it was the devil. Numbers doesn't tell us it was the devil. Deuteronomy doesn't tell us it was the devil. The books of history doesn't identify this serpent as the devil. In fact, the major prophets of the scripture, they did not speak of it as being the devil. The minor prophets did not speak of it as the devil. When you get in the New Testament, the gospels doesn't identify the serpent in the garden as the devil. The epistles, they did not. The book of Acts, they did not. It isn't until you get to the book of Revelation. Ten chapters from the very conclusion... He's introduced to us all the way back here in chapter 2 of Genesis, but he's not really fully identified to us as what that serpent was. I mean, as far as the Scripture is concerned, we know, we understand, because we have the Bible to look at and to examine and to study, but it's not until 10 chapters until the Bible concludes in chapter 12 of Revelation that the Bible says that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. We encounter him in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of the Bible, but not. Well, we don't really find out for sure who he is until 10 chapters uh, till the Bible's concluded. You know why I believe that is? I believe everything is for reason in the Scripture. God knew that if we had that image fixed in our minds and our finite thinking, we would always look and see the devil only as a serpent. And that's the only way we would ever see him. But the fact is, sometimes he's a serpent and sometimes he's a roaring lion. Sometimes he's like a lion and sometimes he's like a bear. And sometimes he's a giant. But sometimes he's beautiful Bathsheba too. Sometimes he doesn't have fangs, or sometimes he has fangs and venom, but also sometimes he has beauty and poise. Sometimes he clothes himself in religious robes, and sometimes he dresses himself up in academic garb. Sometimes he clothes himself in all of your desires and appetites and cravings. That's the way he presents himself. But you don't need to know or to worry and concern yourself too much about what he looks like. You need to worry about what he sounds like. Because it doesn't matter how he disguises himself, he's always virtually saying the same thing. And that is, hath God said. He's always challenging the word of God. He's always challenging the scripture. He's always challenging what God says. He's always challenging you to be disobedient to God's word. That's, uh, uh, you know, he may disguise himself a thousand different ways, but he's always coming at you from the same angle. He wants you. He knows if you follow this word, you're going to be saved. 
He knows if you obey this word of God, this is what you're going to be judged by in the end. And you're going to make it. You're going to be right with God. You're going to be able to stand in judgment. And he's going to say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. Amen. So he always brings this question mark in our minds. That's, that's how he works. Always questioning the word of God. And so I want to say to you here in the 21st century, 2021, if you can believe it, the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. I just want to remind you that thy word, O God, is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my word shall never pass away. It's going to remain. It's going to be there. It's something solid. It's something stable. It's something consistent. Oh, that's why we preach the Word of God. That's why we don't preach out of Time Magazine. It changes every month. That's why we don't use Newsweek. It changes all the time. That's why, God forbid, USA Today. That's why we don't preach out of that and the headlines. All That's why we're concerned with what the Word of God says in this church. Because it'll never pass away. So the devil is a deceiver. He's... He's the wicked one. He's evil. He's a devourer. He's menacing. He's unclean. And he's a hellish spirit. And he makes a transaction there with Adam and Eve in the garden that gives him a certain amount of, although you understand that all power that he has is on a leash because all power is ordained of God. And the powers that be ordained of God, the Bible says. And so we do understand that he has a limited amount of power. He is the prince and the power of the air, the prince of this world. And his influence becomes more and more pervasive in this world as time goes on. Let me just tell you how the devil tries to work. He tries to intimidate. He tries to bully. He tries to push. He's bold. He's brazen. And he knows no bounds. He has no, obviously, no character. He's not shy. In fact, he knows what his doom is going to be. And the Bible said because of that, he comes down with great wrath. He knows that hell hath enlarged itself beyond measure. And and he is doing his very best to take as many people. He knows that someday he's going to be chained and manacled and thrown into the lake of fire. And he wants to take as many as he can with him. He, wanted, he wants to get as many souls subjugated to him as he possibly can. And so he tries to intimidate you and he lies to you and he tries to get you to believe untruths and he tries to get you to accept things that is not right so that he can bully his way into your life and take control. You give him an inch, he'll take a mile. You give him a little bit, something that you allow in moderation, he's going to squeeze his way in and he's going to take up as much space as you allow. He, he wants to take dominion. He's not satisfied with just being a part. Uh, he wants to be in control. He wants you he wants you, and that's the only way it can happen, is through your choice, to
to kick, as it were, God off the throne of your life and put Him in control of your life. He wants you to crave the things that He gets you addicted to and the things that He gets you involved with. He wants people of this world to crave drugs and alcohol and promiscuous living and pornography and all of those things. He doesn't want you to crave the presence of God. He doesn't want you to crave the Word of God. He doesn't want you to crave the Spirit of God in your life. And He tries His best to separate you from those things. And He's bold about it. He's bold about it. But the first time that we see a little snippet of the message that makes the devil tremble is really immediately after what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. Because there is, you understand, a message, and I read it to you, that he trembles at, that he fears. The same fear that he tries to put on you. The same trepidation that he tries to put on you. The devil fears. There's a message that intimidates him. And the first time that we receive a little bit of that message is right after Adam's fall. The voice of God comes down in the Garden of Eden and he calls upon Adam as in other times. Adam, where art thou? And Adam doesn't answer and Adam's not there. And finally Adam comes out of hiding and he's sewn some fig leaves together trying to hide and to cover his sin. And we know that the Lord addressed that with Adam. But then something peculiar happens. He turns and he begins to address that serpent. And he says, curse be thou. He said, you're going to crawl on your belly. That's going to be the curse that you're going to have to endure. And the seed of this woman is going or it shall bruise thy heel. And it shall bruise or it shall bruise thy head. It shall crush thy skull. And it's also going to bruise the heel of the seed of this woman. And there we see a little prophetic message that is coming out. And it slips out all the way back there in the book of Genesis of what is to come. And and what he's really saying is, is that there's going to be someone born. He's going to be born of a virgin that is going to come to this world. God manifest in the flesh. And he is going to crush and fracture your skull. And he is once and for all going to die for all sin and deliver humanity from all sin. All of those that choose to live from him, for him can be free. Amen. Can be born again. They don't have to live under the curse of sin in their life. And I'm sure he's, he's wondering, what, what does all of this mean? This can't be good for me. This can't be good for the plans that I am devising. This cannot be good for the things I'm endeavoring to do to trip humanity up. This can't be good. What does he mean, crush my head? What does he mean a heel's going to be bruised upon my head? And then we see another, and I'm, I'm hurrying tonight, but we see another little snippet of it. In the days of Abraham, when God spoke to him and said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, to the top of Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. And as they're making their way to that place and preparing for this burnt offering, which is a complete offering, you understand. This is an offering where the sacrifice is consumed. 
And he says, Father, Isaac does to Abraham, Father, in chapter 22 of Genesis, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham's answer, I don't even know if he realized at that particular moment how prophetic it was, but he said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. He was looking ahead. He was looking from that mountaintop to another mountaintop called Calvary. He was looking from that point and that testament all the way to the New Testament and a new day when you and I, amen, are going to be able to stand free in the presence of God because of a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, the Bible says. That must have shook Satan to his core. He must have wondered, what is he saying? What does he mean? Amen. When he said the Lord himself shall provide a lamb. What does he mean by that? That can't be good for my plans. That can't be good for what I have in mind. That can't be good for my kingdom and what I'm trying to build. Then we get to, to Moses and... And Moses is directed by the Lord. They're in Egyptian bondage. And, and if, there was, if there was someone that was underneath the influence of Satan himself that we could look at in the Word of God. Matter of fact, he's always typed as the devil uh, many times in Scripture and through preaching. But uh, Pharaoh... Pharaoh had these people in his claw, if you will. He had them under his hand. He was ruling them with rigor. And this is why Egypt and the slavery and the servitude of Egypt is always likened to the world and to sin. And he had his hold upon them. And it looked like after all of these hundreds of years, 400 years, it would never be broken. It was the way that it was going to be. But aren't you thankful that God looks at the situations of our life and it's never an impossibility. Doesn't matter how long a person's been a drug addict. If they come to an altar and repent of their sin, God can free them of that. It doesn't matter how long a person has been a drunk. When they get delivering power of the Holy Ghost in their life, God can free them of that. It doesn't matter how long you've been an habitual sinner. Maybe you've been a thief and a liar and a cheat and a deceiver all of your life. But when God steps in, Pharaoh has to go. Pharaoh has to let you go because there's power in the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody said, why is all this important? Why is all this one God stuff important? I'm glad you asked. We're going to answer that question tonight. There is an importance, amen, of knowing the name of Jesus and knowing that all the power of God is in that name. I don't have to say one of the titles, but everything that God is is found in the name of Jesus Christ. So, plague after plague comes. Miracle after miracle, really, is what we'd call it, comes. And Pharaoh's heart is hardened because he doesn't want to lose his grip. And then we know the final blow. The Lord spoke to him and said to Moses, said, you tell my people to get a lamb for every house. 
and to slay the lamb, consume it, but get their robe on, their staff in their hand, get prepared to leave. Put a little blood on the doorpost and the lintel, and when the death angel comes by, it's going to pass over them that have the blood applied to their house. Amen. That's why having the blood applied to our lives is not just a good idea. Amen. It's critical for our salvation. Amen. I said it's critical to our salvation. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so we know that in one night, that that it lasted for 400 years, the Bible says that they were thrust out of Egypt. I'm going to tell you, God can make it so that the devil has to not just let you go, but he's got to set you in a place of freedom. He's got to turn you loose completely. And he said, get out of here. And, and I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Amen. Get out of my life, is what Pharaoh said virtually. Amen. And they passed through that Red Sea, which is a type of baptism. And they were led out through that wilderness, uh, which is uh, by a flaming fire, which is a type, uh, amen, of spirit baptism, uh, amen. So there's blood, uh, amen, that is applied, uh, amen. We understand uh, that there's blood from the beginning of the tabernacle all the way through to the holies of holies. Uh, Somebody asks where the blood is applied. Is it applied at repentance? Is it applied at baptism? Is it applied with the Holy Ghost? Uh, I'll tell you, I want to get everything. I want to get all to make sure that the blood has been applied to my life. And so we see Moses as God is dealing with him on Mount Sinai. And he's writing some things down. God is revealing to him a tabernacle plan. And I can just imagine after all that has happened and all that has occurred and all that has taken place. The devil's got to be wringing his hands by this point, saying, what in the world is going on? This can't be good. And he sees construction of a tabernacle and all the ornate pieces of it and all of the dimensions of it being just right. What is going on here? These folks are worshiping. and These folks are giving themselves unto God and God is meeting them and Shekinah is coming down and he said this this can't be good this this can't be good I don't God is meeting with man and God is intervening in the lives of man and this is what I've been trying to disrupt and this is what I've been trying to get rid of from the very beginning and then we see in that wilderness and this is a very peculiar thing how that they would have been bitten by venomous serpents. But Moses hoisted a fiery serpent up. And you still see it today. When an ambulance drives by, that's what that depiction is a lot of times on the back of it or at a hospital, that medical sign. And we know that even in the New Testament that's referred to as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. We understand that Jesus was lifted up on the cross. 
And for those that are partakers of the cross, they are inoculated. Amen. They are saved from the death of sin. They are spared from the death of sin. I'm going to tell you, the devil tries to get his venom into people and destroy people's lives. And the only way that you can can recover, the only anti-venom that there is for sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can save you is the blood of Jesus Christ. Twelve steps isn't going to save you. Amen. Counseling isn't going to save you. And I know those folks are all doing the best they can with what they got and the understanding that they have. But I'll tell you what can rid you of all sin is the blood of Jesus Christ. Then it's in the temple. And it's even bigger and more majestic. And then we see that he tries to stop and to hinder and to intimidate. We understand that he tries to take control in the temple through religiosity. Make it difficult for people to be able to really connect with God like they needed to. He tried to make it un- an unbearable thing. Tried to charge them more money so that a few religious folks could line their pockets, right? That's what he tried to do. He influenced, tried to stop, tried to come against prophets of old. Look at the book of Jeremiah, for instance, and how that there was resistance against Jeremiah because he spoke the word of God. And really what he was speaking is revival and hope to the people of God. But they didn't see it that way because there was men that were profiting. Just like today, if there's any place where division is coming and where people are, are speaking out, trying to divide folks from other folks and all that kind of stuff, you can believe that somebody is profiting somewhere. Somebody's making something out of it because it's profiting. They're sticking money in their, in their pockets because they're causing division in this world. How can you talk about lives mattering when you can't stand up for abortion and you can't stand up for these causes? Don't tell me that's fake. That's hypocrisy. Amen. That's not right. Amen. Don't, don't speak about one injustice and don't speak about the other injustice over here. The right thing to do is stand up against all injustice. That's what our Savior would do. Amen. That's what our Savior stands for. Amen. You're talking about all these babies being killed and wiped out. Somebody needs to stand up for that injustice in our world. Hallelujah. Not just cause division. Amen. Not just try to divide people. Amen. We're to be together. And I'm going to tell you, under this roof, we need to be together like we've never been together before. There needs to be nothing, nothing dividing the people of God. We are all one under the blood of Jesus Christ. We all have the same spirit. We're all baptized in the one body. Amen. Everywhere you look in this Bible, it's oneness, oneness, oneness. Amen. There's not ten different churches. There's not a black church, and there's not a red church, and there's not a yellow church, and there's not a white church. There's one church. Amen. It is the church, the church of the firstborn, the church that's in the Word of God. Amen. Praise God. Let's clap our hands and give a little praise. 
We need to unify as a church. Amen. And so the prophets tried his best to put a sock in, and that's a figure of speech, in Isaiah's mouth. And Isaiah felt a little beat down. And he said, oh, no, Isaiah, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Speak out. And so we read in Isaiah 9 and 6, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name They haven't known his name yet. And his name shall be called Wonderful. I can see a little tremor in hell. And Counselor, the the mighty God. Oh, no. Surely not the mighty God. And when he said this, I believe that a shockwave ran up the spine of Satan. When he said, the everlasting Father. Amen. You mean God manifest in the flesh. The one that kicked me out of glory is the one that's coming to earth to take away my subjects. To take away those that I try to deceive. Don't tell me this one God message is not important. Don't tell me, amen, that it's not important. Don't tell me, amen, that it doesn't matter. There's a bunch of semantics. How you baptize. I'm going to tell you it does matter how you baptize. you got to take on the name. The name of the one true living God. The name Jesus. The oneness of God. God is absolutely and indivisibly one. Hear, O Israel, you can remain standing. The Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah 44 and 6, I am the first and the last, and beside me there is no God. Verse 8, there is there a God beside me, yea, there is no God, I know not any. Verse 24, thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, 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 and that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. Amen. The God has, that does not exist in plurality. It, it only exists in oneness. Uh, all names and titles uh, attributed to God in the Old Testament is manifest in Jesus Christ uh, because Colossians 2 and 9 said, In Him, not them, dwelleth all the fullness uh, of the Godhead bodily. And ye, amen, you want joy? You get it in this revelation. You want peace? You get it in this revelation. Ye are complete in Him. Jesus Christ is both God and man. Amen. He is the one God incarnate. Second Corinthians 5 19 says God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. The expressed image of God in his own person or in God's own person. Second Corinthians 4 and 4 said in whom the God of this world little g hath blinded their minds or the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of this glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Colossians 1.15 says, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
New Testament writes, New Testament writers confess Jesus Christ to be God. Amen. Jesus accepted Thomas's confession in John chapter 20, verses 28 and 29, when he said, My Lord and my God. In fact, Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 8, 24. In John 10, 30, Jesus said, I and my Father are one. In John 14, he said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Man, back to Colossians 2 and 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All healing, all power, all victory, all deliverance, all salvation. Everything, everything. Apostolic power is in the name of Jesus. It's all in him. Just like we sang. Why don't we lift up our hands to him right now and give him some praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. I'm thankful for the revelation of who Jesus is. I may not know a whole lot, but if I know this, I'm doing okay. I'm doing all right. It's all in Him. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. I, I got stirred up the other night when Brother Marlow was here preaching. He talked about people getting this revelation and it clicking in their mind. Remember the lights coming on and people jumping up and saying, I see it. I see it. They said there in the, in the camp there outside of where Azusa Street is. I, I forget the name of that little park there, but I went there. And they were all studying and praying and all that kind of thing. And there was a man in the middle of the night that was reading scripture by candle, if my memory serves me right, or lantern or whatever he had. And he went running through that camp saying, I see it now. I see it, I see it, I see it. The mighty God in Christ, there is one God. Hallelujah. I think we're going to get back to that. I said, well, I think we need to get back to that where people, they get a revelation of Jesus' name, baptism. Amen. They get a revelation, amen, that God is who he said he is. Amen. That God is able to do what he said he would do. Somebody give him a wave offering right now all across this place. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. So why is that important? Because there's salvation in none other name. Amen. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other name. Amen. It's the name of Jesus. It's all in Him. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you tonight. Aren't you thankful for the revelation of truth? You're thankful that you're a one God believer. I'm not ashamed to be a one God believer. Like one fellow said, I'd be ashamed to be anything else but a one God believer. One of our old pioneers in Pentecost here in America, C.P. Kilgore. Some of you have seen probably pictures of his old car that he piled his family. I don't know exactly how many children, but many of them 
Brother James Kilgore is one of them. Brother Jonathan Shoemaker and Jimmy Shoemaker that preach for us. That's a father and son. There, Brother Jimmy Shoemaker's mother was one of the daughters of C.P. Kilgore. And uh, in fact, I talked to uh, Brother Jonathan Shoemaker yesterday, and that was his great grandfather, C.P. Kilgore. They said he had a little sign and tracks and stuff that he would hand out that said that you can have this car, which that's about the only thing he had in life. If you could show me in the scripture where anyone was baptized other than the name of Jesus. If anybody was baptized in the titles in the scripture, you show it to me, you can have the title of my car. And you know what? He kept his car because it's nowhere in there. I remember a track we used to have around here. That's I don't remember how much the figure was, but there was so much money we would give you. Somebody told me, and we never had to, we never had come good on that money because it's it's not in there. Amen. Whether anybody was baptized any other way, but in the name of Jesus, Hallelujah. There's something about the power of that name, the authority that's in that. God bless you tonight. Thank you for being attentive to God's word. We appreciate it. Amen. One more time to the Lord. Let's give him praise right now. Let's remember this Saturday. Let's remember Sunday services.